0: I have longed for this day. It's so exciting to, get to see you, uh, be with you. It's a little different, and just know that's okay. Uh, it's it's a little bit different for a time. I can remember the very first time that Autumn left town uh, when we were dating. Autumn uh, did a two-week trip to New York and Baltimore, of all places, and uh, uh, coming up from Texas, and uh, we'd been dating for just maybe a couple of months at that point, and uh, I was smitten, okay? I just, I'm telling you, from the time she and I met, I was just smitten, and so she left town, and if you remember, remember the first time somebody that uh, you think you're in love with leaves uh, for a stretch? And some of you have done long-distance relationships for a long period of time. Um, When you get back together, your first thought is, is it going to be weird? You know, is it going to be strange when we finally get to see each other again? And so I remember I went to the Lubbock International Airport. I don't know how it got the name international. I don't know that an international flight has ever come into Lubbock, all right? But sure enough, it has that name. So I go to Lubbock International Airport, and I remember she got off of the plane, walks through the doors, and when our eyes met, it was different, but I'm telling you, the love was so strong. In fact, that was the day that I told Autumn that I loved her, okay, for the very first time. So i tell you that story just to say, no, my love, it's been almost four months since we've seen each other face to face. And I want you to know, my love for you is strong as ever. And through this time, um, I can, uh, you guys have sent encouraging notes and whatnot, and uh, um, your love for the Lord is as strong as ever as well. Uh, you really realize what's important. And uh, I can tell you for me personally, faith, family, and friendship, in that order, uh, are the three things for me that remain uh, when everything else seems to be taken away, in that order faith, family, and friendship, and you guys are that third category for me. Thank you so much for your prayers. Know that I missed you, Uh, and many of you I've prayed for by name uh, through this time that we've been a part, and our staff has been doing the same. And so, uh, anyway, just enough of that mushy stuff, but I wanted you to know, love you guys, and uh, we've missed you terribly. It's gonna be weird at first. Work through the weirdness, and uh, who knows, the Lord may take us uh, to a new level of fellowship and discipleship with him. All right, two quick things uh, that we need to address before we get started. First of all, We cannot stop the virus from coming into this room, all right, you just need to know that. We can't stop it. In fact, even with the lockdown, there were about 30 people that we allowed to come into our church spaces, every single one of them having a specific purpose to come in here to the space, and three of those 30 ended up being diagnosed at one point with the coronavirus. They didn't get it here, but they walked through the doors with it. Listen, we cannot stop the virus from walking through the doors but what we can do is our very, very best to halt transmission, to halt the spread uh, from moving forward, and that's the goal. That's why we worship in masks. The stage is the only place that is mask-free, all right? In fact, if you noticed, I even worshiped with my mask on before I walked up on stage. Um, We're going to abide by these different uh, uh, regulations. And uh, sometimes there have been some people that have said, uh, are you taking a political side with this or with that? No, we've prayed it through as a staff, uh, and we feel like this is what we're supposed to do. So just know on every level, we've prayed this through, and we feel like this is the way that we can do it that is both safe uh, and uh, will halt the spread as best as possible. All right? Um, Also, we will meet as long as we can. Most likely, there is going to be another shutdown that takes place we're praying against it that the lord will halt the spread but you just need to know if it happens it'll be okay what we're going to be able to do is exactly what we've done up to this point we've already have the template for online services and how we get set up online these are days that we need to enjoy i'll never forget when i was a kid We went to uh, uh, Baskin-Robbins. You remember Baskin-Robbins back in the day? So up until Baskin-Robbins, where I'd lived in Graham, Texas, they didn't have an ice cream shop, and so what you did is you could go to the grocery store, and they had three flavors. You could get chocolate... Vanilla or Neapolitan. Do you remember Neapolitan? Neapolitan was the chocolate vanilla with one like little strip of strawberry that you could get also. But those were the only three flavors that you could get. But when we drove to the big city, all right, of Wichita Falls, Texas, or the big city of Lubbock, Texas, when you got there, there were 31 flavors of ice cream. And the Baskin Robbins in Lubbock that we went to had a rule that you could only get three taste test spoons uh, at at the deal. And my dad had a Rule for our family, you could get one scoop of ice cream, and if it was a really special day, you could get a waffle cone, all right, to put that scoop of ice cream in, so you had to be really, really careful with what you chose, and so my favorite ice cream of all time is still Rocky Road. I love Rocky Road, and I'll never forget going to Baskin-Robbins, and it was a really big deal because you went through going, Rocky Road's my favorite, but I need to make sure those three taste test spoons are really, really good choices, so you pace back and forth. I look forward to it all week long and then I'd pace back and forth looking at all the different flavors, taking in and trying to figure out what to do. It's one thing when you just show up and take your scoop. It's another thing when you really put the time into it and that creates for a really memorable and fun experience. That's what these Sunday mornings are going to be. Come in with your heart prepared for worship that God might speak to you and say something new to your heart that's specifically just for you. Enough of that, all right? Uh, so here's the deal. Our study today, if you've got your Bibles, open to Philippians chapter three and Genesis chapter 46. Philippians 3, and then Genesis 46. We're going to continue our study of the life of Joseph, and um, some of you who came in today looking for a big rah-rah speech, my promise to you has been through this Joseph study that we would work our way all the way down, and this is one that I probably would not have picked for the first Sunday for us to kick off, but I can promise you, the way this whole series has been, some of you were here to hear this specifically today. There is, for some reason, the Lord wants you to hear this message, and maybe just Maybe it's to prep you for something that is coming up in front of you. And it starts off with this question. Are you ready? Have you ever been invited to a really important meeting before? Have you ever been invited to a really important meeting before? For some of you, it has to do with your current boss, uh, your current mentor, or a prospective boss, or a prospective mentor. Now, just for the record, there are a lot of important days, but I'm talking about a big day that you would have to circle on the calendar that your life is going to be different after that meeting, or potentially your life could be different after that meeting. For some of you, it's a court date. For some of you, it has to do with a client meeting where it's a big client that if, if you can land that sale, it's going to uh, change your entire life. It's going to change your finances. Sometimes it's someone to impress. It's a teacher. It's a doctor's visit. Or maybe just maybe it's a date that you have with somebody, someone that you could potentially enter into a relationship with. I can't tell you that that date is going to happen for you. But when it does, there is a way that we are supposed to behave, and we're going to find that out in Scripture. Look at what it says now, Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to look at this topic of important meetings today, and that's what's going to happen for Joseph and his brothers. Look at Philippians 3, verses 4 through 11, and here's what Paul has to say about going into a day uh, where you have important meetings, or going into a day where, uh, again, you want to puff yourself up, you want to sell yourself in the best way possible uh, to that prospective employer, that relationship, you want to put your best foot forward, here's what Paul Paul says, Philippians 3, verse 4. He says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. He's the one who wants to walk in confident to the meeting. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in his flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Why in the world would you brag about that? I don't know. All right, moving on. Of all all the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Underline the tribe of Benjamin. Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law as for zeal, persecuting the church; as for legalistic righteousness. Faultless. Now stop right there for just a minute. What Paul has just done here is a bunch of weird bragging. It's meant to read weird. That's how Paul has written it for us. He says, man, if I walk into the meeting and I go, whoo, I'm walking into this day with a prideful flexing of my pecs, all right? I'm walking into this moment going, whew, I am really something special. He says, my bragging is circumcised on the eighth day. Apparently that was a big deal back in the day, but I guarantee you it was just as weird back then as it is now. He said also, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. Remember, Saul, the first king in Israel, was of the tribe of Benjamin. He said, I've got a great heritage. I can trace it back to the kings of Israel. He then says, and not only that, He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. I went to the right school. Check. He says, as for zeal, persecuting the church, I've got on-the-job experience of standing up for myself. Check. And then he comes back and says, and as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Check. I've done everything. I can boast about all these things that I've done. But look at what he says in verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider it loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Look at this. I consider them rubbish. Underline that word rubbish, that I may gain Christ. That word rubbish doesn't just mean trash. It means the most useless portion of the trash. It means the garbage, the nasty part that needs to go straight to the landfill. It has no purpose. He says, I even consider the best things I've done rubbish, because in the end, knowing Jesus and attaining forgiveness of my sins and the resurrection from the dead, he said those are the things that really matter. Look at verse 9, and to be found with him, not having a righteousness that is of my own, but a righteousness that comes from the law, or a righteousness that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. What Paul says here that's so powerful is we've got to remember in this city where we have been trained to flex, You have been trained to walk into every meeting and go, you know what's wrong with your organization? You don't have me. That's the DC mentality. I don't care if you work in politics, if you work as a lobbyist, or you work for a sales company. This whole city has trained you in going, I'm what you're missing. Now just for the record, there's a powerful truth in us understanding that God can use us. But remember, everything that we count as gain, Paul says it's rubbish and compared to the things of eternity. If you're taking notes, write this down. Eyes fixed on Jesus will find it easier to resist the trappings of money and power. Eyes fixed on Jesus will find it easier to resist the trappings of money and power. You see, when you walk into a big meeting... It's kind of like a baseball player or a softball player walking to the plate when they need to hit a home run to put their team ahead. We got some really good news last night. The Nationals and the Yankees are going to play the opening day game at Nat's Park. It's either going to be on July 23rd or 24th. It's going to happen just a few blocks away. Kickoff, all of baseball is going to happen just down the block. Now, I don't care what level you're on, Little League, Pee Wee, or Pro. What is one of the things that the coaches yell out to the big heavy hitters when they show up and they want to swing hard and knock it out of the ballpark. My dad, my little league coach, my high school coach, and even the coaches in college that we've worked with all say the same thing. Keep your eye on the ball. Do you know why? Because it's agreed across all of athletics the hardest thing in all of athletics is to hit a 100 mile an hour fastball. You can either do it or you can't. And I'm telling you, when the ball comes in, you got to keep your eye on the ball because if you just want to swing hard and try to make contact, if your eyes are closed and you pull your head, then the chances of you actually making contact are like one in a billion. It's not going to happen. You got to keep your eyes open and you got to keep your head straight so that then when the ball comes in, you at least have a chance to make contact with that sucker. That's the way it works in a big meeting. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes open. Again, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your head where it's supposed to be. And when we do that, we got a real good chance of making contact. Eyes fixed on Jesus will find it easier to resist the trappings of money and power. So it begs the question today, what should we remember when going into an important meeting? There are some of you again today who are here for such a time as this, and this message is very much for you. And for others, maybe this is something you need to file away, because you're gonna need it sooner than later. You ready? Now flip back to Genesis, and we're gonna start in chapter 46, verses 31 through 34, our story of Joseph. So, we're into the extra innings with Joseph. Most sermon series that you get to be a part of, Taylor, thank you for laughing, I appreciate that. It's been. It's, we started Joseph the first week in January, we're at like six months of this story, over six months of this story. Now listen, I hope you haven't gotten bored with it, we have a little bit left to go, and here's why. Most preachers stop the Joseph story with Joseph and Jacob, his father, meeting back together. The later parts of the Joseph story are very, very human, and I think it's gonna attach with you today. So the sermon that you're gonna hear today is one that you wouldn't typically hear in a lot of church services. Again, I think that the Lord is speaking specifically to you. Even the title of the series is faithful to complete, I just can't leave it behind. We have to finish it, all right? We have to finish it. And so, here's what happens. Joseph has just seen his father, and a really big meeting has gone on the books. Pharaoh is the most powerful person in the entire world at this point, and Joseph has set up a meeting for his brothers and his father with Pharaoh so they can formally ask to settle in the land. This is a really big deal. For any of you who have a friend, or maybe you yourself have attained US citizenship, this is, the US, or this is the Egyptian citizenship meeting that they are having, okay? They are wanting to settle in the land, and they're wanting a government job so that they can be able to afford to stay in the land, and they can also afford to be able to take care of their family. So look at what happens, look at what Joseph does. It's a big meeting. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh, and I will say to him, My brothers and my father's household uh, were living in the land of Canaan and have come to me. Look at this. These men are shepherds, they tend livestock, and they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, What is your occupation? Are you ready for this? You should answer. Answer. Underline and highlight, you should answer. Your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Underline, all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Now stop right there for just a minute. Joseph is telling his brothers how to answer, all right? He is their their guide at this point. He's their consultant, and he looks at his brothers and said, here's the deal. You've been shepherds and livestock tenders all this time. You've been herdsmen all this time. And he says, Pharaoh's going to ask you what you do. He says, you should answer honestly. You should answer truthfully. And I love the way that the writer here, Moses, lays out for us at the end. He says, don't forget being a meeting where the brothers can reinvent themselves if they want to. They can flex and use Joseph's name and go, you know what? We really always wanted to be in politics. You know, we really always wanted to be weavers or thatchers. You know, we really always wanted to be blacksmiths. That's what we always wanted to do. But Joseph says, be honest with who you are. When you go into a meeting, if you're taking notes, write this down. What should we remember when going into an important meeting? Number one, first and foremost, be honest. Be honest. In this city, it's so interesting. We try to say what we can to get ahead. In the end... That only hurts you, it doesn't help you. Now just for the record, there's a difference in showing initiative and in misrepresenting what it is that you're good at. My dad used to say this, every disciple has to address three things, I know who I am, I know who I serve, and I know where I'm going. Those three things, if you can truly be honest about those things, then moving forward, you will know how you can best help an organization. Otherwise, you're gonna end up what I like to call a blessing stealer. A good opportunity that's not meant for you. If you take that opportunity from someone else, then you have stolen their blessing. I'll give you an example. You ever had a good job that was put in front of you? And it's a good job, but you know yourself you know who you serve, you know where you're going, and it's a good job for somebody, but it's not a good job for you. But all of a sudden you think, well, if I don't take it, somebody else will, and maybe I deserve it, and maybe the pay is for me, and maybe the title increases for me. I can tell you, when I've jumped ahead, I don't just end up shipwrecking my own journey with the Lord. I end up stealing someone else's blessing. It's not just with the job. It's with relationships, let's be honest. You ever had somebody that you were dating and you came to a point where you realized that it wasn't meant to be forever and then all of a sudden in that realization you see somebody flirt with the person you were dating or even the person that you had just broken up with and then all of a sudden you want them back All of a sudden, you want to be that person in their life again, even though you've realized it's not for you. You begin to look and go, well, they've been on the back burner for me, and I want them to be on the front burner again because they can't be happy with anybody else but me. If that is you, you are not honest, and you are a terrible friend. Can I say that to you? You are a terrible friend. Set them free and let them go live their best life for Almighty God. And you... Be honest and move forward. If you're taking notes, write this down. An honest assessment of our true strengths and weaknesses helps us unlock the mystery of God's plan for our lives. An honest assessment of our true strengths and weaknesses helps us unlock the mystery of God's plan for our lives. Joseph looks at the brothers and says, I know it's detestable work to some, but you have experience being a shepherd and he says, you could live in Goshen. Can I tell you why Goshen's important? Goshen is as close to the border in Egypt as you get. And Goshen was isolated so that they would not lose their cultural heritage. They wouldn't become assimilated with the Egyptians and lose their religious foundation that they have, their connection with Yahweh. They wouldn't be as tempted by the idols. Joseph says, in order for us to preserve our cultural heritage, tell them the truth that you're trained. As shepherds, don't fall into the path. Now, there are some of you in this room, by the way, who are managers. I want you to notice something. Joseph says you should answer this way. And ask them to be honest. Look at what it says next. By the way, save your spot there and flip over to Proverbs chapter 10, verse nine. I love this little verse. Great verse to memorize when it comes to honesty. Proverbs chapter 10, verse nine. Here's what Solomon says. He says, but the man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. (laughs) Underline, he who takes crooked paths will be found out. The idea here, and this is interesting, if you want to write this down, you can. Write down tracking mud, okay? The man of integrity walks securely. The picture of this is like somebody who is walking along the path on a hiking trail. The other person who walks the crooked path is stepping in the mud, off the trail in places that were never meant to be walked. And so it creates these muddy feet. And what happens? When you get to the destination you were going to, both the person on the crooked path and the person who stays on the path of integrity end up at the same spot. But the person on the crooked path is tracking mud all over the house. That's the picture. When we get to things in ways that are not of God, that are unnatural, that are not filled with integrity, that are not honest... In the end, it causes others around us to scratch their head, and they go, "Man you way to where you were going." It begs the question, "Are you answering as you should? Are you answering as you should? Or are you saying what will get you ahead?" Look at what the brothers do. Now look at Genesis 47, and we're going to look at verses one through six. It says, "Next. So Joseph went to Pharaoh went and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and everything they own have come from the land of Canaan and are now in Goshen. Look at this. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Stop right there for just a minute. Remember, these are the same brothers that had sold Joseph into slavery. The picture that we have in this passage that's so beautiful is that Joseph has been treated terribly by his brothers, but he makes peace with God. He makes peace with them. And then not only does he tell them how to respond to Pharaoh, but he picks them. The five best to present to Pharaoh so that they can have the best meeting possible. He's doing everything he can to help them be successful. Look at what happens next in verse three. It says So Pharaoh asked the brothers, What's your occupation? What do you want to do here? Your servants are shepherds. They take Joseph's advice. They replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. And they said to him, look at this, we have come to live here for a while. Underline live here for a while. Because the famine is so severe in Canaan and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now, please let your servants settle in Goshen. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and brothers, look at this, in the best part of the land, and let them live in Goshen. I know let them live in Goshen. And if you know any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. Stop right there for just a minute. The brothers come in, and they could reinvent themselves if they want to, but it won't be honest. They walk into the big meeting. Joseph says, just tell the truth. Pharaoh values the truth. This boss values the truth. He's going to let you settle in the land in Goshen where you can, again, Take care of our family. You can preserve our religious heritage. Everything that you desire in this land is going to happen if you'll just be humble. So what do the brothers do brothers do? It says they claim being shepherds even though shepherds are detestable. And then they look and they go, and by the way, Pharaoh, we're just here for a time. We're not coming and demanding political asylum We're not coming and demanding position and authority. We're not coming and demanding a portion of the crops. We're just coming here, kneeling before you and saying, whatever it is you have for us, we receive it because the famine is so severe and we're in trouble. Humility, humility is something that is highly valued in this culture, whether people say it or not. If you're taking notes, write this down. What should we remember when going into an important meeting? Number one, be honest. And number two, be humble. Be humble. I've noticed something over the when an old young people can exhibit humility, but when an older generation, an older is relative, okay, when an older generation exhibits humility, it is powerful. Now, just for the record, again, old is relative to your situation. Humility is when you could flex, when you could bow up, when you could make demands, when you could play your trump card. And instead, you make the decision for the best of the team, for the betterment of the team, to submit and do your part. When we do that, you become a very, very valuable asset. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Humility is a highly valued asset for someone building a team. Humility is a highly valued asset for someone building a team. The first time I can remember seeing humility in action, someone outside of my family, happened when I was at youth camp when I was 14 years old. There was a man, he and his family um, watch our live feed fairly often, his name's Dan Briggs. Dan Briggs owns a heating and air conditioning company in Lubbock, Texas. And Dan Briggs is a true discipler. He was a Sunday school teacher, taught on Sunday mornings at our church that my dad pastored in Lubbock, Texas. And I'll never forget, Dan used to hire for summer work because they did big commercial air conditioning jobs, HVAC jobs. And Dan used to hire a whole bunch of high school students to work for him during the summer months. And uh, he would hire these 17 and 18-year-olds. And what he used to do is he would say, I'll pay you for the whole summer. I need you to work every week, but if you would like to go to youth camp he said you don't have to but he said i will give you a week's pay to go to youth camp and i'll pay your way to go to youth camp not only that he got 2 weeks of vacation and one of his 2 weeks dan would go as a sponsor to youth camp i'll never forget excuse me chills talking about it, we had a really special night so many kids coming to receive christ it was so special and you watched it. after the service had happened, we were in the cafeteria at this camp in Oklahoma, Hannah, and all of a sudden, we're in the cafeteria, and after the service, all of a sudden, we all left, but I had left my Bible in the cafeteria, and I walk out, and when I walk back, everybody's gone except for Dan Briggs, and he's sweeping the floor in the cafeteria. If there was anybody who could have pulled rank, played his card, who could have skipped out on sweeping the floor, it was him. It was a huge portion of the camp that was there because of him. He had closed his business for that week so that we could all be there together. And he was sweeping the floor because he would do anything, humbly do anything, so that the gospel could be heard with clarity from anyone humility humility is highly valued and this city is so funny because this city says it values pride but it really doesn't it's one of the lies of dc it says it values pride but it really doesn't listen to me pride is toxic pride is toxic that word toxic i choose very very carefully because it's poison for your organization it's poison for your relationship It's poison for the connections that you have in friendship with other people as well. Pride is toxic, and it seeks to steal from you everything that you love dearly. It begs the question, has your prideful heart made you toxic? Has your prideful heart made you toxic? I don't know of anybody in the world that wakes up and goes, how can I be the biggest jerk of a friend that I could possibly be today? How can I be a terrible husband or a terrible wife? How can I be a horrible friend today? Nobody wakes up in the morning and wants to do that. Humility is what ensures us as good friends. Now look at what happens next and we'll close. It may seem like I'm rushing. It's because I am. I'm having trouble staying to the clock today, all right? It's my first time back. Cut me some slack, all right? Look at Genesis 47 and now let's look at verses 7 through 10. It says, then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob had blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? I love that. Man, Jacob must have looked old. You know what I mean? To have the guts to say to somebody, how old are you? All right. He looks at him and he goes, man, how old are you? All right. Notice it says Jacob blesses him from the very beginning. Pharaoh says, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult. And they do not equal the years of my pilgrimage of my fathers, of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Look at this. And then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. I want you to notice something. In verse 7, what does Jacob do when he sees Pharaoh? He blesses him. In verse 10, when he leaves Pharaoh, what does Jacob do? He blesses him. Can I tell you why this is so interesting? Pharaoh's the most powerful person in the world at this point. Pharaoh wants for nothing. In a world filled with famine, Pharaoh is the one that has stuff. He's the one that has everything. In fact, they're coming to beg him for things. But what does Jacob do? Part of honesty and humility is walking in and, number three, being helpful in that meeting. Be helpful when you come into to those big opportunities. Don't just walk in as one who goes, what can I get from you? Be the person who walks in and finds a way to bless. Jacob walks in and says, I can give you absolutely nothing, but I can petition Almighty God on your behalf that you would be blessed. He says at the very beginning, you even having this meeting with me is a blessing to me. Lord, please bless my friend for the time he spent with me. And then at the end, he goes, man, you've been so kind to us. You've been so gracious to my family. You're even going to hire some of my sons to be a part of your own flock, to take care of your own livestock. Man, thank you. Let me pray for you before we Notice that what Jacob does is the same thing that Joseph does when he meets Pharaoh for the very first time. He meets with him and says, I'm a prisoner, I'm shackled in chains, I'm a slave, and I've been wrongfully accused. There is nothing that I can do for you, there is nothing that I can give to you. And yet Joseph says to Pharaoh, But I can petition Almighty God to interpret your dream. I can ask Him, I have nothing to give you, there is nothing of worth in my life, but I am connected to the one who controls everything. When you meet with people who God could use to change your life, is it a shakedown so that you can get what you want? Or do you truly desire to be the hands and feet of Christ, the mouthpiece of Christ to that situation? People in this town see through it. If you're taking notes, by the way, write this down. When faced with the most powerful person in the world, Jacob begins and ends by offering a blessing. When faced with the most powerful person in the world, Jacob begins and ends by offering a blessing. It begs the final question. Do people who meet with you feel spiritually encouraged or fleeced? Let me say that again. Do people who meet with you feel spiritually encouraged or fleeced? In this town, you can fleece somebody to try to get ahead. But can I tell you a secret? You can do that once. And then whatever position you fleeced yourself into, you better not make any stinking mistakes. You better do it just perfect. Because if you don't, you're gonna be out the first chance that you get, first chance that they get, and you certainly are not gonna get to move up because D.C. is a big, small town, isn't it? Word travels fast out here. And I'm telling you, if you get there the wrong way and track mud all over that situation like we talked about, you're gonna end up in a circumstance where you end up immobile. You end up trapped in that position. Are you helpful? Or do you just fleece people to get ahead? This city, by the way, can find that out in people, I think, faster than any city I've ever been in. Don't be the one who fleeces. Be a person of peace and encouragement. Mr. Crafton, is that a good word? I'm telling you, you can't fleece. You can't fleece. It's not just work, it's relationships. When you get into a dating relationship with somebody and you fleece somebody and take things from that person with your mouth, with your body, that don't belong to you, in the end, they figure you out. You realize that, don't you? And that's when they end up moving in another direction the first chance they get. Be encouraging, don't fleece. In the case of the brothers, Joseph coaches them the whole way through. Here's what you say. Here's who's going to present. And then in the end, he says, just be honest, be humble, and then be helpful. Be who you are. Assist in the kingdom work that's taking place. And then it'll be very easy for you to find a position. I love you guys. I told you, a very practical message today, and maybe, just maybe, there were some of you that were supposed to hear it. Don't tune out the most important part of our service of these next few moments. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me, we call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time, just a chance for us to stop and to process the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard and specifically the scripture that we've read and how we're different because of those things. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? It's time that I'm honest. It's time that instead of saying what I can to get ahead, I need to tell the truth. I need an honest self-assessment of my strengths and weaknesses and I need to stop selling myself. When the truth is, the Lord is the one who directs my steps. With nobody looking around but just me, if you're here and you would say, Zach, pray for me, pray that I would be honest in my dealings with people. Pray that I would be honest in the words that I speak. Not just that I say what I should to get ahead, but that I truly answer honestly. With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, if you would just lift your head, hand where you are right now. Ready, set, go. Thank you, thank you. Y'all can put your hands down, so many of you. This city stirs in us that dishonesty is initiative. Dishonesty is sin, and it does nothing but hurt you and the organization you're trying to attach to, the people that you're trying to connect with. If that was you, I'm going to pray for you. But I want to encourage you, just pray this simple prayer. God, help me to answer as I should, as you would have me to answer. Second, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I'm tempted to flex. I'm tempted to play my trump card. I'm tempted to not be the one who sweeps the floor. But in truth, it's time that I was humble. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here, and you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? Would you pray that I would live in humility? That I would be an example? and not one who flexes and demands position with nobody looking but just me if that's you if you would just lift your hand where you are right now thank you thank you thank you y'all can put your hands down that takes guts I've been there I'm gonna pray for you but if that's you if you just pray this simple prayer God purge my prideful heart God purge my prideful heart that I might be the hands and feet of Jesus. God, purge my prideful heart that I might be the hands and feet of Jesus. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I want to be encouraging and not one who fleeces people. I'm telling you, in this city, that's hard. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me, I want to be an encourager and not a fleecer. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now, ready, set, go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. So many. Thank you. I'm going to pray for us. But if that was you, just pray that simple prayer. Lord, let me be an encourager and not one who fleeces. God, let me be a good friend. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you for the chance that we've had to study your word. And Lord, I thank you for these passages of scripture that are a little bit obscure but they carry so much truth and so much weight. Lord, your word even tells us all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and edifying and righteousness. Lord, I pray that that scripture would be doubly true for us in this room today. Lord, for those who need to be honest, give them the words and the courage to be honest. For those who need to be humble, Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes to just how valuable humility is and you would help them to proceed accordingly. And Lord, for those who need to be helpful, Let the words of their mouth and the actions of their lives be encouraging spiritually to others. Let them speak blessing just like Jacob at beginning and end. And Lord, I pray that you would put to death that toxic pride. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.